This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. My mama told me when I was young, we're all on superstars. She pulled my hair with my lipstick on, in a glass of purple dry. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me again on this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries, 220 TV, radio, terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. Before plugging my guest and doing formal introductions, I just want to say a quick thank you once again to my sponsors, Now Forever and Halton Honda. And I want to thank my family over at the C-Suite Radio Network, where, of course, following the live show, you can also find the podcast link, again, on my host page, Living Fearlessly with Lisa Dawn. wish to also thank all the podcast subscribers hovering around half a million now, so I couldn't be doing this without you. Can't thank you enough. And once again, I am joined by yet another phenomenal guest. So who is my guest today? Well, what I can tell you, my guest is a spitfire woman by the name of Katrina Ruth, otherwise known as Kat Loterzo. She's a writer based on Australia's sunny Gold Coast. When she isn't furiously unleashing her true message, she is running her multi-million dollar online coaching business as an entertainer, speaker, and success mentor to the crazy ones. With almost 50 best-selling e-books and several hundred product and program launches under her belt, Katrina is known as a content queen who just doesn't stop. She believes that you can have it all on your terms so long as you're willing to get honest with yourself about what you're really here to do in the world and then do the work press play. Of course, we've got lots of links and where to find Katrina on social media and website, but I'm going to I'm going to welcome you the guests here to my guest is Katrina. So Katrina, I want to thank you very much for taking time out of that crazy schedule. My God, I don't know how you keep up with yourself. <laughs> thank you so much. So how are thank you? Thank you for that introduction. I'm awesome. I'm here in LA for a few weeks and I'm so excited to speak with you. Well, fantastic. So, of course, this is unscripted. My my loyal listeners and followers know that this is unscripted. I think it makes for a much more organic discussion. One of the things I'm always interested in finding out about is the backstory, so the inception of each guest's journey. So where did this all begin for you, Kat? When did you know that this was kind of your niche and this was what your calling and your purpose was and that this was you honoring yourself within your journey in terms of paying it forward and being of service to the people you uh, take under your wing as clients? Yeah, for sure. For me, it actually started way back uh, about 27 years ago when I was about 11 years old and I began to read the books on my father's bookshelf. I I was a voracious reader, a speed reader, and I I would continually run out of books um, to read. My mom would take me to the library, but I would just keep running out. So I started running, reading the books that my dad owned and he had a lot of personal development books and kind of all the books from what I would call the godfathers of personal development. So Tony Robbins, Brian Tracy, Zig Ziglar, Harry mm-hmm. Beckwith. And I just remember being that age and I remember reading Tony Robbins in particular and thinking to myself, well, that's what I'm going to do. And it wasn't, I hope I can do that or how could I do that or, you know, can I do that? It was just a decision at that age without remotely understanding what that meant or how, how that could come to light. But it, it just felt certain to me. It felt like, oh, yeah, that's what I'm going to do, obviously. Um, but if we fast forward a little bit, you know, I kind of, I guess I put that aside or it was more in my subconscious mind because I set out on a pathway to become a lawyer. That was my chosen career path and and my family, my parents were behind that. And I got the grades for that. I got into law school and I went along to, I think, two classes. And then I really just decided, no, I'm not going to keep doing this. Um, I'm not going to live the normal life. I I just don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. But I was terrified to tell my parents, as you can imagine. So I continued to go along to campus um, and continue to go to classes. 
but what I was doing was I was giving people facials for $50 in the retail section of the campus, which I was completely unqualified to do. But I put up a little sign saying stress relief for students. And meanwhile, I was freaking out because I thought, what am I doing with my life? I'm 18 years old. I'm destroying my life. I've like literally walked out on a law degree, which was the entire kind of purpose and direction of myself and my parents for the last however many years. And I have no idea what I'm going to do. Um, so to, to try and cut a long story short, I did what a lot of people do at that age. I grabbed my backpack and I took off to Europe. <laughs> um, I just traveled around. And uh, when I got back, I'd actually, I'd gained some pounds. And so I started to go to the gym quite a lot. I became really obsessed with fitness and I ended up becoming a personal trainer. Um, wow. Basically because I was at the gym every day and one of the trainers said to me like a joke, oh, you're here every day. Haha, ha, you should work here. And I just thought, well, I have no idea what I'm doing. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, but that was amazing because personal training, which I ended up doing for 13 years, taught me a lot about sales. It taught me a lot about confidence. It taught me a lot about communicating and connecting with people. And during that time, uh, around 2006, I started my first website and blog and I did that because it was that kind of era where people were sort of saying, well, if you have a business like a personal training business, you should have a website and that's going to help you to grow your business. And quite a few mm -hmm. of my high end clients were sort of at me, start a website, Kat, that's going to help your business. And I began my website. I built my own little website. And, and what happened was I fell back in love with writing, which had been one of my he loved growing up and I'd always loved to write and I'd always kept journals and written stories since a young age. So the website certainly did help my personal training business having a blog, but, but really it opened my eyes to a world of possibility. And so without me knowing it, it was the first step on that pathway that had begun when I was 11 years old, where, where this seed had been planted that I'm going to impact eventually millions of people with my message and empower them to, to chase the life of their dreams as well. At first, it was really just a fitness website and I was giving fitness advice, um, but really I was just connecting and engaging with people and listening to them and listening to how I could help. And it actually kind of, this, this will sound silly, but it kind of accidentally built up over a period of the next several years to where it was making multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars per year in revenue just from selling really low cost online fitness products and information products. And so I guess I achieved what a lot of online entrepreneurs would consider a dream. But for me, it happened not because I set out to make a lot of money, but more so because I was really listening and, and connecting with my audience. And mm -hmm. um, it was very organic, I guess, for me. But what it did at the same time was it taught me about online business and it taught me about online marketing and it taught me about building a following. And eventually from there, very slowly but surely, I started to speak my truth and transitioned out of fitness around 2012 rebranded under my own name um, and went through a little bit of a messy period there finding myself but ultimately got to where I am now which is all I really do is write and speak and 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 I just write and speak whatever comes through me each day really seeking to inspire motivate educate and empower people to press play as as I would call it and live according to their values and chase their dreams. Fantastic. Wow. Well, there's you imparted a lot of great information there. So I'm trying to hold my simultaneous thoughts in which to uh, come back here. So going back to saying, you know, some of the personal development books that were on the shelves and that captivating you and, and knowing very clearly, very distinctly and, and, and determining that for yourself, you know, declaring that this is what I'm going to do. So we talk about this quite consistently on my program, Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald, with many people who are, are immersed in the personal development world because yes dialogue self-talk you know in terms of manifesting coupled with massive action you know a lot of people they fumble their way through it and you know they're not very definitive in their decision making and then they wonder why they're cyclically going around and around with no tangibly you know tangible change to the results of what it, it is they claim to want to see show up in their life and the types of people and the opportunities in which they want to align with so languaging is very pivotal and I appreciate you using that story uh, and very succinctly and very eloquently articulating that because that's something that we can't impress upon uh, enough to the listening audience and to anybody who you know is is hungry for content and hungry for changing the direction and the scope and the magnitude of their life so you know clearly 
actually synergistically, we're very much aligned. Um, the people that I gravitate to are very much immersed in the personal development world and really everything in which that stands for and embodies. So taking it forward to where you are now and congratulations once again on all your successes and more importantly, because we all define success very individually and very uniquely, uh, but you getting very clear, exceptionally clear within yourself to the point where you're now doing exactly what you want to do. You're honing it. You're having fun with it. You're enjoying life. You're being present. You're in the here and now, and you're able to help people along the way, which I think is just a beautiful journey. So who is your ideal client, Katrina? Like, who is it that you will interface with? I mean, I'm sure there's always a, a, an introductory consult. You got to get a feel for where these people are, what brought them through your doors to begin with. But in terms of who you deem to be coachable, what are some of the essential core ingredients they must first embody before partnering with you? Yeah, I love this question. Thank you for asking. Over the years, I've become very clear on who it is that I'm here to serve. And I suppose one of the more difficult things on my journey, and this is true for a lot of entrepreneurs, including my clients, is realizing um, that in order for me to do my best work in the world and, and serve an impact the people I'm here to impact, I have to be just as clear on what's a no as what's a yes. And so I've become very, very specific on who I do work with. And I'm very good at saying no if I not, if mm-hmm. I believe that somebody's not a fit. And obviously that's no reflection on them. It's simply I don't believe that I can help you. And here's why. I help people who, who see the world in a certain way, in a particular way, which is essentially the same way that I've always seen it, which is knowing since a young age that they were born for more and that they're going to do something extraordinary in the world. So my clients are typically entrepreneurs, leaders, performers, artists, creators and they would self-identify as being the one percent within the one percent they're that person who since a young age has probably been competitive has always expected themselves to be the best they've probably had periods of overworking and over pushing themselves um, and really being too much in that hustle and grind instead of flow but ultimately they're the person who won't take no for an answer they believe that they have a destiny and a purpose um, and they're willing to do what it takes no matter what it takes until it takes in order to bring that to life and so I'm here to I guess affirm for those people yes what you feel inside of you is real this this thing this feeling that you've had since a young age that's not normal not everybody feels that way and when you feel that there's a reason for that and you absolutely can bring to life what's inside of you however in order for that to happen you have to do the work the inner work and the practical work yes because having a destiny doesn't mean that it's going to come to life. And this is something, this is probably one of the things I'm most passionate about. I so believe everybody has a destiny and a purpose, but I also believe firmly that that doesn't mean it will ever happen. So many people that we all know have passed on before us with their light still inside of them. And so it's about realizing and recognizing that to bring that stuff to life, to, to live your purpose or create your dream business or do your impact work in the world you've got to quit putting your BS ahead of your dreams is one of my favorite yes. things to say. And really just, you know, let the message be more important than your own drama. Let doing the work be more important than whether you feel like it, whether you don't, or whether you feel like you know how, or whether you're scared. And a lot of people look at me and my clients and assume we have superhuman confidence. And I want people to know and understand, I feel insecurity and fear of rejection. And I publish things online where honestly, I have my head in my hands thinking, please God, don't let my father read that. And I, <laughs> let the message be the message and let that come out first and so that's what I'm here to help my clients with as well fantastic so a couple things you said I just want to clarify and kind of backtrack a little bit so in terms of your explanation your definition uh, and the criteria for who would ultimately uh, make your ideal client now let's say this isn't somebody who necessarily knew as early on as you did specifically what it was that they wanted to embark upon but when they did uh realize that this was exactly what they wanted to do and they wanted to key up with somebody like you who's doing exactly where they wish to go and you know who better to align yourself with and and seek coaching and mentorship from than somebody who's already proven to be very successful at it such as yourself so let's say they've gone through a reinvention process and it's not a result of them knowing from day one or the grassroots uh, from you know once upon a time in their life but this is something they very clearly wish to embark upon now and it couldn't be more laser sharp for them in 
their focus that, yep, this is what I want to do. So Mm -hmm. as long as they meet the criteria of being completely clear on that and committed to doing the work, the ongoing work, um, and allowing, you know, themselves to be coachable, but perhaps they're just a little bit blocked because they don't know Mm -hmm. how to navigate it in such a way that you've uh, orchestrated in your own life. So if they meet that kind of description of client, is that still fall into the category of being ideal? 100%. Yeah. I, thank you for helping me to clarify. I definitely didn't mean to imply that they need to have clarity or certainty. In fact, typically when people come along to me, they're very much questioning and doubting themselves, really struggling with self-worth and self-belief stuff. But ultimately, they are feeling that pull. And, and so I always say to my clients or well, people who are considering working with me, whether it's as a high-end private client or I, I have numerous group-based programs online, which are very low cost and a lot of free content as well. And regardless of where people are coming in, I sort of say it's not about where you're at or what you've achieved or done so far. It's about who you are as a person. That's what Mm -hmm. I'm looking for. Are you that person who believes that they have something to share with the world? And even though you might feel completely unsure of yourself or you might feel like, well, who am I to be able to say that or do that? You've got that pull inside of you. And so let's look at how we can get you into confidence, into belief, and into taking aligned action, even if that fear is or, or resistance is still there, because it, it always is. It's not about getting past self-doubt or past insecurity or past your blocks. It's about realizing that you can dance with fear and resistance. You can take action with those things still there. I love how Elizabeth Gilbert puts it in her book, Big Magic. She mm-hmm. talks about fear is going to come along for the ride anyway. You can't tell it not to come along for the ride, but just tell it it gets to sit in the back seat and it can't choose the music. <laughs> and I think that's perfect. Love it. Absolutely love it. So in terms of uh, clients and, of course, uh, honoring the confidentiality without disclosing names or, or personal information that would trigger who it is that we're perhaps citing. But if you could, for the audience, for anybody who's, you know, on the cusp, perhaps after this wants to reach out to you and establish a consult and maybe take it one step further, if you mutually, do, uh, you know, decide upon this is a good fit, yes, we can go forward in our working partnership together. Um, but what would some of the testimonials be, the contrast before somebody walks walking through your door, where they're at at that particular juncture in their journey to after having worked with you, learning some tools, getting clear uh, to where they're now at and kind of flying on their own. Yeah, I have, I have tons of cool stories. I, I, I honestly feel like my favorite stories of which I probably hear something daily from somebody along these lines is somebody coming to me and telling me that when they found me, they, they had no clue how to even remotely consider starting a business or where they would begin and also really just didn't believe in themselves and their ability to do what they really wanted to do in the world, and that now they feel like they're in alignment, they know what their purpose is, and they're taking action on it. That, Mm -hmm. to me, is the most powerful. Um, But I guess what people love to know about really usually is the money stuff. Mm -hmm. So I've had clients who've started with me who are completely at zero. They have no online presence at all. They haven't taken any action to create their ideal business or life as an entrepreneur and who are now making anywhere from five to $10,000 a month to in excess of $180,000 a month is my most successful client currently. So there's a really broad range there. And, you know, I've had people come on board who are already um, successful in their business and they have some sort of following online and some sort of revenue that's coming in, but it's maybe in the early stages who have built into where there are six or multi-six or seven-figure entrepreneur, and then others who are still in those early stages where they're maybe just starting to replace their previous income, which is, I guess, um, generally the first milestone that my clients look to achieve. So it's it's definitely about the money. Obviously, people who are, who are setting out to become successful as an entrepreneur need money, and they want to make money. Um, and money is a reflection of how you're showing up and serving people. But yep. for me, the the biggest outcome that I really look for for everybody in my community is, are you going to bed at night every night and feeling like, yes, I did what I'm here to do and I feel proud of myself and I feel fulfilled? And that's the number one thing that I strive for with my clients. And so I teach a lot of structure. I teach a lot of strategy. I teach. I can teach people every element of how to run a business successfully online Um, But I say continually to my community that what I'm really here for is to help you click that switch to where you know that you're doing what you're meant to be doing and, and you're in the right energy space where it's feeling flow and it's feeling aligned. 
Fantastic. So, you know, of course, people don't know what they don't know. So if you don't mind, we'll break it down for a little bit here. So let's say somebody has the fierce tenacity, they've got the fire in their belly, they, you know, they're committed to doing and putting in the time and the investment uh, of 18 hour days consistently being accessible, being very engaged with their client, knowing who their demographic is. Let's say they do have a bit of a social media footprint. And let's just say that they're just, you know, truly authentic in who they are, which is why they have the engagement that they do. But we know of Outside of that, there's other uh, skill sets that are required to get it all pieced together in which to have, you know, a put together product. So, you know, a lot of people, for example, aren't good in the back office. A lot of people aren't good with links. A lot of people aren't good with, you know, keeping up with algorithms and knowing how to stay one step ahead of the curve with how those systems change, which you need those systems in which to further promote and, and reach people at a more viral level. So, you know, what do you, you know, does your skill set also include some of what I just mentioned or do you have a team that helps operate all of that and you focus on the yummy stuff with your clients and the content and just you know generically speaking knowing what somebody does need to do in terms of creating visibility and exposure reach and expansiveness so you know what would you say to that for somebody who you know has the right attitude is in the flow has all the core ingredients of of believing in themselves um, but they just don't know how to configure or reconfigure some of the other stuff to piece it and pull it all together yeah, definitely. I, I I help with those things. However, my method and approach is very different to the normal to what's expected. I have no clue about SEO algorithms. I've been marketing online <laughs> for 11 years. My business makes millions of dollars each year in revenue. I have not once given any mind to SEO. I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I do not pay attention to those things. And only in the last 12 months have I started to have people on my team start begin to do that because I thought, okay, well, let me start to get a little curious about this. But to be quite honest, my what I've done is I've put my energy where it wanted to go. Now, for the first mm-hmm. five or six years of my business, I felt really bad about this. I felt like I'm a really uh, disorganized, lazy entrepreneur who's not <laughs> doing the proper work. And I, I was really beating up on myself about it all the time. Like, you've got to look at this stuff. you got to look at your analytics or your whatever it all is. But mm-hmm. I didn't do it. What I did instead was I created a lot of content and I got to where I was blogging daily, which I now do. And I was always communicating and talking with my audience and I was continually creating um, products and just marketing them however I felt, which was really just by genuinely sharing my own excitement. I wasn't doing three-part video launches. I wasn't do- building funnels. I wasn't doing any sort of stuff that I guess is the norm in the internet marketing industry, but I was feeling bad about it. And then it wasn't until I got to where I was I was uh, making $35,000 a month. And I, I mean, now it's in the multi hundreds of thousands per month that my company brings in. But back then I remember being like, huh, hang on just a second, if I'm bringing in $35,000 a month and I'm not following any of the rules and I have no clue what all this stuff is because I really don't want to do it, but I felt bad about that, maybe my method is working. Yeah. Now, now what I teach my clients is I'm like, okay, cool. If you want to know about that, you want to know about the strategy side and the like official stuff that I don't even know about, then yes, I have people on my team that can help you or help people on your team with that. And so mm-hmm. I have people in place now, but that's only in the last two months. And that came after my company was already creating millions of dollars per year in revenue. So I want to really emphasize that. So a big part of what I'm here to stress or emphasize with my clients is let's look at what really engages people because that's actually what's going to grow a business. So whilst looking at reports might be interesting or or whilst trying to follow some kind of formula in order to grow an audience may have some merit to it. I'm not saying it's not a value. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. really people have been engaging people since the dawn of time, even before the internet. And typically that's been through stories, through being authentically who they are through. And this is one of my favorite things through being the one person in your niche or industry who says what everybody's thinking, but doesn't say, you know, say the controversial stuff, say the things that you would say behind the scenes to your partner or your best friends in private, say them in public. These are my strategies for visibility and growth. Speaking Mm -hmm. the truth. And I've, I've done a little bit of Facebook marketing over the years. And so once again, I can teach my clients that and my team can teach that as well. I don't personally teach that. I have someone on my team who would teach that. Um, but I've done it and I used to do it myself even. But it's like $1,000 a month that I would spend on Facebook marketing for a business that produces multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars per month. So it's just like a teeny little piece of what I do because mm-hmm. why not? But really how I've built my audience 
and my income and how I teach my clients is through unapologetic, authentic messaging consistently across multiple platforms. And the other part of it is the mindset and the intention side of it, because I firmly believe that everything I've created in my business and life has come about because at a certain point in time, I decided it in my mind and I held true to that. And that to me is far more powerful than looking at online marketing stuff that apparently is important, but yet I've never used. Absolutely. Well, beautiful. And I appreciate you being honest about that because, I mean, you're going to spare people a lot of unnecessary distress and headache thinking that they got to keep up with some of the things that are now out there in social media land in terms of, you know, if you're going to stay ahead of the curve, you got to adopt these mechanisms and these strategies. So thank you for sharing that because I think that's going to allay a lot of people unnecessary duress in terms of just focusing on what they're good at, what they're strong at, and knowing what it is that resonates truly with their demographic and their clientele. Um, so in terms of some of your products, Kat, what would that entail and where can people find them? Yeah, you can go along to www.thekatrinaruthshow.com. That's my website and there, there is a ton of content on there. I post a daily free blog there firstly, but also you can sign up for the community and then start to get to know me and my clients and it's free to sign up obviously on the homepage. As far as my products and services, I'm a, I'm a content producer. That's one thing that I just love to do. So I've launched over 300 different online products and programs over the past 11 years, and I continue to launch a new product or program roughly every two weeks, every three weeks at the most. These range in price point from probably the lowest price point would be around the $100 mark, and my high-end private coaching is in the multi-tens of thousands of dollars per year. So there's a really broad variance there, but a lot of what I sell online and what I market to my community is quite low cost, and it's designed with everyone in mind. Mainly what I create these days is around mindset and around creating results from within, around believing in yourself and about taking aligned action. But I also have a good amount of products and programs that are around business strategy, marketing, selling, branding online from my perspective, obviously, the way that it's worked for me. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, I'm always very clear that, hey, you know, I know there's other ways to do this. I'm here to share what's worked for me. And this is what I feel works for that crazy creator type person who really doesn't want to have to follow a whole bunch of steps and formulas and kind of suspects that they don't have to, but yet is maybe feeling like, oh no, I have to do this. I have to follow the rules. So I'm here to say, hey, there's actually a different way as a crazy creator person who wants to sort of break all the rules and be a little bit of a black sheep. And here's how. So I teach my biz strategy from that perspective. Fantastic. So I just want to clarify then when you talk about the, you know, all these varieties of uh, products and services, are they organically built up uh, based on your brand or is there also some partnership with affiliate marketers and you're endorsing? 99% of them are purely created by me. There's, there's been a, a small handful of joint ventures that I've done over the years. It's not an area I've really doubled in. Affiliate marketing is also not an area that I engage in. I think I've done it once or twice in 11 years. I'm not against it. I just, yeah. I'm kind of eyes on my own path and I, I like creating my own content. But I have a few close friends, uh, soul sister or soul brother friends who are very aligned to my message in their own message and in their business. And there's been circumstances where we've created joint programs together, which has literally happened because we're maybe out at dinner and talking and, and then end up saying, oh my goodness, this would be so cool to teach on this together. So I've taught a couple of product, uh, a couple of programs with one of my best friends who has a very similar business to me online. Um, I just finished teaching a program with my highest earning client, actually, and that was amazing and fun to do together. And so I'm certainly open to doing things like that, but I never set out to do it strategically. It happens typically with a close friend or client, and it would happen very organically. And it's maybe once a year that I would do a joint venture like that and mm-hmm. affiliate, affiliate stuff. I, I would say yes to it if one of my friends asked me. I would not say yes if somebody with a big list came along and, and sort of pitched themselves to me to do it. And, you know, there's these big affiliate marketing things that a lot of people get on board with. That's It's just not of interest to me. I'll only do something if it's somebody who I'm, I love and know personally and I use their content myself. 
Beautiful. Okay, well, I appreciate that. Now, in terms of, you know, you having cited that you regularly, consistently blog every day, but also knowing what works for you in terms of saying the types of controversial things that you would say to a lover or to a best friend and kind of getting away from what everybody else is saying or on the heels of what everyone else is doing. Um, how do you generate that on a daily base, basis, keeping it fresh, keeping it current, um, without it necessarily being duplication of things that you've already touched upon in, in previous pieces? actually I think I do duplicate a lot of stuff um I often I, I've even written blogs where I'm thinking to myself I've definitely written this exact same blog, even, with the, <laughs> even with the same title back in 2014 or something um but part of my commitment to my message is let the message be the message and I, yeah. I teach this to my clients all the time and so what I mean by that is it's not my job to edit, critique, filter, or decide whether the message is good enough or even whether it's already been said before. It's my job to tune in daily, which I do via a mindset process, uh, which is uh, journaling, essentially, which is the first thing I do each day. So it's my job to tune in and notice what's coming through me, almost like I'm the vessel, I'm the messenger, I'm not the one who's supposed to critique it. So Mm -hmm. I just let the message come out and if it feels repetitive, then what I've learned over the years is, well, that means people need to hear it again, including me. And of course, it's going to come out in a different way. I might write on a a topic today that I wrote about three years ago, but it's going to be with three years of additional experience and coming through a different filter. Different people are going to hear it or see it and it's going to speak to exactly who it's meant to speak to for that day. So I choose not to concern myself with that if I'm being repetitive and it's similar with there's many times when I will publish content where I feel like my god that's terrible it's so boring (laughs) or this is really lame or I sound like an idiot and like you know you have that voice inside of your head that says really really that's worth putting on the internet okay then and I've just really learned to tune that voice out and once again let the message be the message and what I notice is I can publish something where I honestly walk away thinking, well, that's embarrassing. That was just awful. But then I might get a ton of comments on that and people saying, wow, this is the best thing I've ever read of yours. <laughs> and then there's other times where you, you walk away patting yourself on the back and thinking, I'm rocking it. And then you get hardly any response. <laughs> so it's so like, true. Yeah. <laughs> so true. It's not up to me to decide whether the message is any good or not. It's up to me to press publish and then get out of the way. But what I... What I notice is if I publish something that I feel really uh, vulnerable about or I feel like it's just not great or I feel self-conscious about maybe a certain person reading it, for example, I I kind of do this thing like a little girl where as soon as I press publish, I shut my laptop and I just go away yes. inside. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm not going to even look. I don't know what anybody thinks about this until it's too late for me to change my mind. Right. No, I love it. And I do a lot of live streaming too. And and, and I pay attention oh, okay. to other people who do live streaming and they say that too, you know, don't play it back. Just upload it, just upload mm-hmm. it, put it out there into the either and see totally. what comes out of it. Right. Because there was obviously 100%. something that com- Absolutely, because there was something that obviously jazzed you up or you felt a compulsion to, uh, you know, put it out there in the first place. So rather than getting in your head and critiquing it analytical, let the message fly and see where it lands, right? So Exactly. Yes. Okay, so in terms of you being very clear on, you know, this is what I'm good at, this is what I feel a calling to do, this is my purpose, I'm very passionate – you know, outside of honing it every single day and remaining committed and, and invested with producing consistent, regular content, one, because that's what you should do, but two, it's also something you drive a lot of pleasure from, and this is what feeds your soul. Um, mm-hmm. You know, are you, aside from somebody who lives in the here and now and capitalizes on making every moment count, but obviously, you know, you have fierce tenacity, you've got lots of goals, lofty goals. So, you know, do you oftentimes project into the future and go, okay, this is what I'm going to consistently do day in and day out, but this is what my two-year plan is or my five-year plan is, and this is where I'm going to up my level yet again? I'm not that strategic with it. I was at the start, you know, sometimes I come across things in my Dropbox from 10, 15 years ago, and it's fascinating to see what my process was back then. And I was very much like, okay, five-year goal and then 12 months and then quarterly and then monthly and then weekly and then daily and then hourly. And I really, really was structured with it. And that was when I was first learning. Now, I, and I feel like that's a great foundation if people are, are just new to goal setting, setting and visioning. I kind of look at that more like, okay, that's the grade school approach. That's where you learn about discipline and about 
um, strategizing about goal setting. And, and as you get maybe more advanced or experienced with it, you learn to tap into flow more and you learn to come from soul more. And so I certainly am clear on my vision, but it's not to the point where I would say, in five years I'm going to be here or three years here or, or one year here. I have my big picture vision. I tap in regularly to my vision beyond my vision. So I look at, okay, what is everything that I know is meant to be created into my life? I don't choose my goals from a place of what would be cool or what would success look like. It's more tuning into my inner self and my soul through my journaling and asking, what do I know is meant to happen? What do I believe is actually destined um, Mm -hmm. or ordained? And then I said, that is my vision, but I'll regularly look at, okay. And then if that was already true, if that was my reality, what would my vision beyond that vision be? And that's a great way I've found to really tap into your truth. And then from there, I don't remotely break it down at all anymore. I do not look at any sort of annual or quarterly or monthly or even weekly planning. I don't even plan my days beyond, obviously, if I have a booked appointment, such as I want to be that we're doing right now. But aside from that, it's pure flow. And so what I mean by that is I will take the time every single morning, like 360 plus mornings a year, I'm going to be sitting down and journaling and connecting to my vision and my goals. And that's the very first thing that I do outside of, let's say, getting my children ready and taking them to school and that sort of thing. But as soon as it's my time, it's journaling. And so I connect to my vision. And then from there, how I take action to achieve my goals is simple. I simply tune in and ask myself, well, with this vision in mind and believing and knowing and trusting that it will come to life, what is the aligned action that I should take right now in this moment? And it's really a moment by moment thing. I do have a lot of routine though, um, I must say. So maybe somewhat in contrast to that, I've built a lot of routine over the years, a lot of habits. I am a very, I guess, habitual person and a disciplined person and you know, a lot of that came through learning discipline from fitness. What Mm -hmm. I feel each day is that I get to follow flow. I I have very few appointments on my calendar. I'm very selective with putting appointments onto my calendar at all. I don't, and even with private coaching, it's only something I do in quite a limited quantity. So I don't have a busy call schedule or anything like that. I have a lot of space in my day and I choose what do I believe I'm meant to be doing right now. But, But certainly there's things that I do each day, such as my journaling, such as my messaging which is blogging live streaming etc um working out is definitely something that gets done each day and and lots of other things as well but it doesn't feel like i'm following a structure or plan it's, it's more that i've made it into who i am i suppose fantastic well given how selective you are with how you organize and orchestrate your day i want to say even once again how much more honored and touched i am that you set time aside to join myself and the loyal listeners today that means a lot to me kat so thank you um oh, thank you So outside of your self-discipline that embodies and encompasses, um, or encompasses, I should say, you know, your journaling and things that you kind of cited, it still kind of blends into what I was wanting to ask you as well in terms of, you know, do you have set rituals, mantras? I mean, I know a lot of people, they do certain meditations or they, they carve out a certain amount of time for themselves before they do anything else, respond to anything else, open up their phone uh, before they even respond to their children in the morning with that daily routine. So is there anything specific that has continuously worked for you in keeping you on the straight and narrow and keeping you in that flow outside of what you already mentioned, the journaling, et cetera, and the blogging? Journaling is my biggest one for sure. And blogging. Fitness is a huge part of that. I mean, I'm not in the fitness industry anymore, but I've had, I've had a fitness habit now for over 20 years of my life. And that to me is a hugely meditative thing. Even I do a range of different things for my fitness. So I do a lot of very intense, I guess, hard course type stuff you would call it mm-hmm. but also also yoga and things that are more general or more restorative but even when I'm lifting heavy weights and and doing a weight circuit firstly I will not check my phone when I'm working out that's you know completely uh, like I have all my notifications off I have them off all day anyway actually mm-hmm. but in particular in particular when I'm at the gym I find is actually a really powerful time to connect to soul and connect to flow and so I'll choose whatever music I'm feeling and even when I'm lifting heavy weights and kind of doing I guess crazy intense stuff in the gym I find that I connect to flow and I almost feel like I'm dancing um in a way internally I'm not actually dancing in the gym (laughs) (laughs) and so if I allow myself to work out that way then I get this huge soul upgrade from it and I feel like I had a lot of downloads or I had a lot of realizations or awarenesses whereas if I would be checking on Facebook or something like that that would totally break the flow and then you still got to work out but you don't get the soul stuff so for me it's really just journaling blogging um fitness and, and also I guess the other part of it is 
being super self-aware of what I need. So if I'm going, going, going all day long and I might be moving back and forth between being a mom and talking with my team or talking with my clients or doing my own creative work or doing my workout and then, you know, you get to that time of the day, often around mid-afternoon where you start to get a little crazy and your brain's feeling a bit fried. <laughs> and I find it's like it's either the chocolate time of the day or it's the, cry, it's the breakdown and cry or the scream or it could be like lashing out at someone if you're not taking care of yourself. Um, so it's a time of day where we all need to, I think, reset. And for me, mm-hmm. I, I actually I had bulimia for 10 years in my 20s. And that was how I coped. And so that was, you know, a really big thing for me to work my way out of. It took me several years to break. And, of Mm -hmm. course, it's very important to me to not um, sabotage myself in that way again. And so what I learned through that period is that the bulimia was a stress relief and like a way of feeling in control when I felt out of control. And so I learned to replace that with healthy habits and behaviors. So it's really critical for me that when I notice when I'm starting to get a bit crazy and I kind of want to rip everybody's heads off or just yeah. hide, then that's when I'll be like, okay, okay, time out, time to take a walk on the beach, for example, if possible, I live on the beach. Or, you know, if the kids are at home, then maybe I'll put a movie on and I'll go and listen to an audio meditation or even dance or do something silly or fun with them or talk to a friend or whatever it might be. But definitely to acknowledge that need to connect back to yourself and to kind of ground yourself rather than feeling like, oh, I'm too busy though, I've got too many things to do and it's still already this time and now I'm going to make dinner and I should keep going. And that's what I used to do and that would just burn me out and fry me out and, and it would end in um, emotional eating or excessive wine consumption at various periods as well. So, you know, there's still times where I definitely am like, okay, I'm having the damn wine, obviously, but a lot of the time it's, all right, what do I actually need and what does my soul need? And that might be where when you take that time to pause, when you think that you're so busy, when you take that time to pause is when you actually get a big breakthrough around something or, you know, something becomes revealed to you that would save you a lot of time. Absolutely. Well, I want to say thank you very much for being vulnerable and disclosing to us your journey with bulimia and, and that being a result of feeling out of control, which if you don't mind, I kind of like to dissect that a little bit because as somebody sure. who kind of embarked upon your journey, you know, immersing yourself in the books that were on your dad's shelf uh, in personal development, you know, you were pretty self-actualized and pretty evolved in thinking about things long before a majority of the population would be. I mean, now it's considered trendy, whereas back then it was just, you know, the natural thing to do based on what was in your environment that you sponged up. So as somebody who was self-actualized, for somebody who clearly knew where it was that they were embarking on and, and, and dialoguing with yourself in such a way, you know, this is what I'm going to do, where did the issue or the, the aspect of feeling out of control come from? I think it was the perfectionist streak, you know, I guess the flip side of growing up being a high achiever. And, you know, I I had a very blessed childhood. I'm so fortunate. My parents continually told me you can do anything, anything you decide to do, you can do it. And we believe in you. And they always backed and supported me, even when they found out I wasn't going to be a lawyer anymore. (laughs) Um, So, you know, that was amazing. But I guess the flip side of that was there was an expectation that you will be the top student. It's just how it is in our family. I didn't feel, I don't remember feeling pressure put on me, um, not in a direct sense, but it it was just how it was. Of course, I was going to get the highest possible grade. And um, I'm not sure of the grading here in the US, but in Australia, it's A or A plus, for example, is the best grade. So if I would get an A, then it would be the question from my parents would be, oh, why wasn't it an A+. A plus? And mm. it was more like a curiosity. But there was just this awareness that you, you have to be the best. You are you are the best. You will be the best. That's who we are academically. Um, and I was. But I suppose and, – and, and I didn't study excessively for it either. It's actually an interesting thing around manifestation and identity. I always believed I would be the best, and so I was. Um, but it, the pressure of the, I have to be the best is something I still notice in myself to this day. You know, I get, I actually get really triggered or I feel insecure when I have some of my entrepreneur um, friends who are just amazing, amazing badass leaders all around the world. You know, I, I love seeing their wins and I get triggered by it. I feel insecure if somebody got into Forbes before me, for example, and then, <laughs> which, which happened. We, now I've been pitching a Forbes. But at the time when it happened, I was so triggered and I felt like I'm not good enough. And it actually brought up a lot of stuff from being a little girl where I, it's, it's so, it sounds so silly, but I'm sure a lot of people can relate, where yep. my thought process was even to the point of, 
now people are going to think, what's wrong with Kat? Why is she not in Forbes? And that they would judge me. And so it was all like my inner stuff that I've really learned a lot about over the years to really notice when that little girl inside is feeling vulnerable or feeling, um, you know, insecure or unworthy. And, and, you know, it makes us think or do funny things as adults. And I feel like a lot of people try and hide that or feel like they should hide it. And I'm really about owning it and be, and, you know, I'll tell, like I told my best friend that it, that it made me feel really insecure when her business pulled ahead of hers. And, and then I like dealt with it and I owned it and, I worked through it, but rather than me feeling jealous or feeling like, well, really what I felt wasn't jealous. I felt like I wouldn't be good enough as a friend anymore if I'm not on the same level. And I think that comes back to being a kid and feeling like if I'm not the best, then I'm not good enough. And essentially I'm not worthy of love if I'm not the best. And so it still comes up as an adult sometimes. And I've had to really um, learn to understand that people don't instantly not love me if I'm not the best. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think with the bulimia, that was a huge part of it. I, I just put such tremendous pressure on myself to always be the best. At the time, it was more to do with fitness. I was fitness modeling and competing, but I was also, the you know, I was I always had to be the most booked out trainer in the gym. And I was the youngest trainer and I was the only one out of 11 trainers who was female. And I was always the busiest and the most booked out. And it was just, for me, in my mind, it was how it had to be. It was like I was continually trying to prove myself and continually mm-hmm. doing way more hours and like training up to six hours a day as well back then. So the obsessive side of me has come out in all the different eras of my life. And, you know, sometimes the obsessive side is a really good thing. But I think it's like with fear, it's it's about learning to dance with it, to notice when mm-hmm. your obsessive side is working for you versus working against you. And, you know, at the time when I, when I became bulimic, I was only 19 years old. I didn't understand all this. And so to me, it was just I felt so much shame and so much guilt. And I just couldn't break that habit. I It, it was, you know like an impossible thing for me to not do because it was the only thing that helped me to feel a relief. And mm-hmm. it took me, well, I had professional help, medical help and psychiatrist help as well as I began my own journey of growth in that area to learn and understand emotional eating and other forms of sabotage and to then start to understand, oh, okay, don't look at this as being you have poor willpower or you're a weak or undisciplined person instead to understand this was actually serving you. It gave you something you needed, which was a necessary stress relief. And now how can you get that in a different way that's healthy? Mm-hmm. Well, you said something that was interesting. I'm just going to say this quickly because I'm also cognizant of time and these interviews mm-hmm. always go too quickly for my liking. I could mm-hmm. talk to you for hours because there's so many parallels between you and I, uh, unbeknownst to you. But um, okay. so interestingly, when I when I hear what you say about the Forbes and your best friend and, 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 you know, what that caused for you and what you grappled with as a result, however, you still chose to own it. You know, coming from sport myself, I used to be a competitive swimmer. My goal was, of course, always to go to the Olympics. I did not go to the Olympics but a girl who I trained with six days a week, twice a day, she went to the Olympics and she represented our country. But I'll tell you, I would not have been as good of a swimmer had I not trained with her. Right. Mm -hmm. So we we know in the personal development world, you know, you know, there's always going to be, although we understand it's, it's truly ultimately about being in competition with ourselves and improving ourselves and being the best version of ourselves every day. We also look upon the people who we would deem to be mentors or peers or colleagues who, you know, operate within that same sphere of stamina, momentum, goals, focus, clarity, passion, etc. And really, if we don't surround ourselves and align ourselves with those people, chances are we wouldn't have been as good as what we already are, never mind the fact that we're committed to always continually grow and be better, uh, had they not been in our sphere of indirectly, you know, energetically bouncing off of us vibrationally, right? 100%. Yes. So knowing that it's not going to be long here before, unfortunately, we have to do uh, the outro, say goodbye to the listeners and to yourself here, Kat. You know, what would you impress upon the listening audience outside of, you know, already having cited where they can uh, reach you? And you can certainly plug that again. Um, But, you know, what would be one or two different nuggets that you would wish to impart to them? People who are struggling or they're getting a lot of value out of what it is that you're saying, but there's still that level of doubt or insecurity, as we've touched upon, even within our own journeys. You know, what would be the last few things that you would want to impress upon the audience in terms of just upping their own game and stepping into it yeah I feel like the the most powerful lesson I've learned and which I really want people to understand and I wish I had have known earlier is be unapologetically you and give yes. into what's inside of you you are ultimately going to give in to being you anyway you can take another year another five years another three decades in the end you're going to look back and say 
I should have just been who I am and, you mm-hmm. know, like put aside what are people going to think? What are people going to say? Is that even possible? Give in to what's inside of you. You literally cannot screw it up when you're following the direction and the guidance of your soul. And if you feel like you don't know what the direction and guidance of your soul is, then I'd encourage you to begin a journaling practice or some form of inner work practice to really just start to ask, what is my soul desire or what would it look like if I were following alignment or following what would make me happy or following flow? And, you know, these are questions that can feel really mystical when people aren't used to asking them. But if you begin to ask them to just take a small period of time each day, even 10 minutes in the morning for introspection, you will find the answers and you will be directed and guided from within. And, you know, I I love, um, there's a, a quote I love, from Nelson Mandela, I believe, I hope I'm getting the quote right, which says, I have so much to do today that I don't have time not to spend an hour on my knees Mm. um, in prayer or meditation or whatever it might be. And that's really what I live by and what I want people to understand. I know how busy people are and so many people are juggling being a parent and a partner and a business, running a business and and trying to have a social life and maybe a minute or two to breathe as well. Well, The (laughs) first thing to do is to stop and to press pause and to tune in and take that time to set your internal compass and set inner guidance. um, And really then know that when you go out into your day, you're taking action from a place that actually makes sense rather than being in bed in the morning and looking on freaking Facebook. That is the last (laughs) thing you should be doing. (laughs) Well, I just want to say this has been a a true treat. I mean, I've been so looking forward to this interview, and I want to thank you for the gift of your time and for all the wisdom and the insight that you've uh, shared with myself and the loyal listeners and and soon-to-be the podcast subscribers. And you're welcome to come back here at any point, Kat. And uh, I just want to wish you continued happiness, passion, joy, success in your journey, knowing that, of course, everything that you embark upon and endeavor to do and how you choose to live your life, it's really about anchoring other people and, and sharing the wealth. So I want to say good on you. We need more people like you and uh, really grateful that our paths have crossed as a result of what you're doing and what I'm doing and, and us kind of meeting in the middle here. So thank you so much. I really, really appreciate you I, and I respect what it is that you're doing. Um, to the listening audience, I want to thank you once again for taking time out of your busy schedules for joining myself and my guest of today uh, here on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Again, shortly after going live, the podcast uh, link will be available for those who weren't able to partake in the interview here today with Katrina. Uh, and I just want to thank you again. I want to thank you very much for being one of half a million Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald podcast subscribers. I want to thank you for your loyal listenership, for your testimonials, your feedback. Uh, it's really lovely for me to know that the guests that I'm bringing on here uh, are resonating with you based on what it is that you're saying you want more of and what you've gotten out of already for who's been showcased and what this is doing to transform your lives and your journey. So thank you so much for that. And um, I want to thank my family and partners over at c-suite radio again uh where once again after following the live show you can eventually find the podcast link on living fearlessly with lisa mcdonald combined listenership between the two networks is four to eight million so thank you so much for sharing the wealth and uh thank you again to my sponsors uh halton honda and forever and i wish everybody a phenomenal weekend uplifting you to fear less and to live more love and gratitude take care all my best see you next friday bye-bye You've been listening to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.